Great. So I'll be reading from 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 16, page 1166 of your Bibles. I repeat, let no one take me for a fool. But if you do, then tolerate me just as you would a fool, so that I may do a little boasting. In this self-confident boasting, I am not talking as the Lord would, but as a fool. Since many are boasting in the way the world does, I too will boast. You gladly put up with fools since you are so wise. In fact, you even put up with anyone who enslaves you or exploits you or takes advantage of you or puts on airs or slaps you in the face. To my shame, I admit that we were too weak for that. Whatever anyone else dares to boast about, I am speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast about. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Are they servants of Christ's? I am out of my mind talking like this. I am more. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the forty lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak? And I do not feel weak. Who is led into sin? And I do not inwardly burn. If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, who is to be praised forever, knows that I am not lying. In Damascus, the governor under King Aratus had the city of the Damascenes guarded in order to arrest me. But I was lowered in a basket from a window in the wall and slipped through his hands. Sarah, thank you very much for, for reading. I should congratulate and welcome as well baby Mara here and Jerisha as well. I think it's maybe sleeping, maybe not at the back. Um, lovely to have these new babies in the church family. And um, parents, well done for making it. You're allowed to nod off in the sermon. Anyone else, though, that's sleeping doesn't get away with it quite the same way. Let's, um, let's pray before we look at this passage together. Father God, thank you um, for what we've been learning through this book of 2 Corinthians over the last, uh, last few weeks and, and months. Uh, Lord, there's much in here that's really countercultural and, and maybe takes us off guard, surprises us. Um, I pray that we would be in tune with what you have to say to us in your word today, that your Holy Spirit would uh, impress on our, on our hearts the things that we need to take away personally and corporately as a church. 
um, so that Christ might receive glory and honor uh, that he deserves. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's not, um, it's not particularly difficult at the, at the moment to find examples of leadership crises um, out there at the moment, is it, in, in the UK. So uh, we can see uh, Boris Johnson. It doesn't seem a day that goes past at the moment without someone calling for him to resign, uh, whether that's his own party or the opposition. Uh, the first prime minister to, to receive a fixed penalty notice ever. Trouble at number 10 in leadership crises. But it's not just there. Cressida Dick, uh, the head of the Met Police, recently uh, had to stand down. She lost the confidence of Sadiq Khan, the mayor of London, over her handling of racism and misogyny, apparently, within the police force. Or if uh, those feel a bit highbrow for you and you're more like me, uh, Harry Maguire, the Man U captain, put on the bench yesterday, lacking in leadership. Well, that's the, the less said about that, the, the better, from my point of view. But crisis in, in leadership, and not just something that happens out there, but actually in the church as well. A BBC documentary not so long ago with a, a well-known mega church, a large church, and in this documentary was exposed uh, tax fraud within the church and, and extramarital affairs with some of the leadership in the church. Within our own sort of network or constituency, if you want to call it that, of, of churches, uh, there's been a worrying number of, of high-profile leaders who have been forced to resign over their leadership style, quite domineering, so dominating leadership culture. I guess as some of us here, there's a big room of people here, some will think, gosh, this feels millions of miles away from my experience of church, I've got no idea what you're talking about. Others, yeah, maybe you've seen this, you've experienced this in church before, and you've been hurt by it. It forces all of us to ask the question, what kind of criteria do we have in place for those in Christian leadership? What kind of things, you know, top the checklist, or, or do we most value in Christian leaders? When we turn to the church in Corinth, as we do this afternoon, we, we see a church, haven't we, that, that has fallen hook, line, and sinker into the achievement-orientated success culture of the Greek world around it at that time. They were wowed by charismatic personalities and by strength, and they were totally embarrassed by any kind of failure or, or weakness. And as we've been saying, we're not so different today. <laughs> if you've not been around or it's the first time here, uh, we're in this book then of 2 Corinthians and, and the series we've called The Gospel According to Weakness. And Paul, in these final, we're, we're kind of on the home straight towards the end of the book, and these final three chapters, Paul is he's going to come and visit them soon, but before he gets there, he wants to prepare them for his visits, and he wants to warn them of the destructive nature of the false teaching that, that the Corinthians are buying into. Do you remember last time, we saw last, a couple of weeks ago, he had, um, he had called these false teachers super apostles, kind of ironic title for them. They were all show, no substance. They were preaching a different Jesus, a, a different gospel. But they seemed so together. They, they seemed so impressive. And the Corinthians were wowed by them. If you want to put it like this way, the Corinthians, they were tempted to ditch the Apostle Paul 
and be on Team Super Apostle. I mean, it even sounds cool, doesn't it? <laughs> to be on that team, the successful team. But to borrow something I used a few weeks ago, it's a bit like this. Do you remember Paul in chapter 4 referred to himself as a, as a clay jar? And Christians as clay jars. It's sort of the, the first century equivalent of a, of a brown paper bag. Nothing, nothing impressive about it. It is actually a loaf of sourdough from the market, but we don't need to know that. Just a, a brown paper bag, nothing impressive about it. And Paul's saying that's what he is like. That's what Christians are like. But actually, as the weakness is shown and in different ways suffering comes, what is exposed is treasure, Paul says in chapter 4, in jars, you can see that, of clay. The gospel shines through. And Paul is saying that, that his weakness, it really shines light onto Jesus and the gospel and the power of God shown on him rather than on Paul. If you want to take it a little bit further, uh, let me share this. But you're probably wondering why I've got a sparkly handbag at the front. It's, it's not mine, let me just clarify. Um, but it's a little bit like the, the super apostles were, this, were like this handbag rather than the, the clay jar or, or paper bag. And people were like, whoa, it's designer. Maybe. Uh, it's designer, it's sparkly. Wow, it, it, heads turned, really capsulated by that. But actually inside it, nothing. It's just hot air, they're teaching. There's nothing to it at all. It's actually dangerous. Not that bag in particular. But Paul wants them to boast in in him, his ministry, his gospel. And he's so concerned about the Corinthians, the the kind of track they're going around, that he's worried that his normal strategy of writing to them just isn't getting through. And so he, well, he turns to desperate measures in our passage today. So the first thing that we see is that Paul's reluctant tactic of boasting turn in a minute to Paul's almost inconceivable strategy of boasting. But before, in verses 16 to 21, he he needs to defend and kind of explain why he's going to do that. Paul is clear in chapter 10, he hates boasting. That's what the super apostles were all. They boasted, bragged about their ministry. And Paul despises those self-indulgent tactics. But in order to get through to them with kind of well, great reluctance, hesitation, almost cringing as he does it, Paul's going to borrow their tactics. He's going to play them at their own game. Can you see how he clarifies it in verse 17? He says, in this self-confident boasting, I'm not talking as the Lord would, but as a fool. The second half of verse 21, whatever anyone else dares to boast about, I'm speaking as a fool. See, he's not In his normal style, he's just going to take on this persona for a little bit. He's only stooping to their level because the the super apostles have dazzled, have won the Corinthians over. They've taken the values of the world, verse 18, into the church. Verse 19, did you see, is dripping in sarcasm. Where Paul says there, you gladly put up with fools, the false teachers, since you are so wise. He's sarcastic in his writing to them. And did you see the damage that is being done in Corinth by these false teachers? They've invited them into powers of authority and influence. And look at verse 20, see what's going on. Paul writes, in fact, you even put up with anyone who enslaves you or exploits you or takes advantage of you or puts on airs or slaps you in the face. These false teachers are enslaving 
exploiting, humiliating the Corinthians. Look, I don't know where everyone stands in terms of Christianity today, but I hope that if you're around at Trinity for a little bit, you'll understand that the gospel, the good news of Christianity is liberating. It's wonderful. It's freeing. It's a message full of, of joy and delight. But that is being undone here by the false teacher's style of leadership. Their leadership is, is controlling, it's coercive, it, it's deeply humiliating. When it talks about slap in the face, though, I think that's probably a, a reference there to sort of metaphorical slap in the face. But some people think, it, no, it might have been even hitting them. And they were sort of, oh, well, fine, they're important, let's put up with it. We need to see how dangerous this kind of leadership can be. As I've been working on this this week, it's, it's been on my, my heart, really, to address the the danger, as I said, within our kind of constituency or circle of churches where this kind of controlling, coercive leadership has been present. Small minority. Most churches, it's not an issue. But there's been enough to make it a worry. There's a slight difference, I think, here in Corinth. Uh, they're not Christians, these super apostles. Paul has said that. Uh, in the cases of some churches uh, in the UK, perhaps they have been Christians. But we need to learn lessons. Christianity Today, that's a sort of uh, global magazine, they published a podcast about a year ago called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. Maybe some of you have heard of it, maybe some of you haven't. Uh, it was a church in Seattle, Mars Hill Church, and led by a guy called Mark Driscoll. Mark Driscoll, uh, hugely sort of charismatic personality. He used to preach sermons for over an hour without notes, and they were gripping. You know, you're thinking, over an hour? Seriously? Um, but uh, these sermons were, were seriously gripping. I, I listened to loads of them when I was a late teenager, early 20s. He was the most downloaded preacher on the internet. And better than that, he, he was doctrinally solid. It was good what he was preaching. He was invited here to speak to a load of men in the, in the Royal Albert Hall in London. Some of us might have been there. But actually, this podcast and other reports reveal that behind the scenes, things just weren't as pretty as at the front. He bragged to colleagues. Bragging is just crazy things, like that he read a book a day. And his domineering and bullying leadership comes out in these podcasts, deeply troubling stories about culture of fear, lack of accountability. It's not just something that we can conveniently say, oh, just that happens over there. But something in the UK, there's been a couple of reports over the last few years of a church in Wimbledon and in Sheffield here in the UK, where again there's been leadership that has been deeply worrying. One report uh, put it like this. It said there, were, there was bullying and intimidation, overbearing demands, rejection of critical feedback, expectation of unconditional loyalty, both churches, the, the report also said, oh, they were excellent Bible teachers, rare preaching gifts. They were impressive. But actually what's worrying was that their behavior, leadership, uh, went unchecked, went unchallenged. A number of, um, of us at Trinity on the leadership have read, have read these reports that have been written on those churches. We've talked about it, we've prayed about it. I think it's worth saying from the front that if there is anything that you guys at, at Trinity kind of see in the leadership that you think is sour or not good in this kind of sense, um, do, do challenge it. Uh, the, bring it to the leadership, Jeremy, um, or who was up the front, or me, or Ben and John are the elders. We have a leadership team at church as well with Sophie at the back and Kirsten 
and Adam, who's leading on it as well. But actually, if it's maybe something that you feel I can't bring to them, <laughs> they're too involved. There's a safeguarding email on the back of the service sheet that you can email if there's something in that kind of uh, remit that you want to report. We want to learn from these lessons. But Paul is not saying that leadership or authority is bad. It's a good thing, biblically. But how different Paul's ministry is from these false teachers. Verse 21, can you see he's, again, ironically saying, to my shame, I admit that we were too weak for that, kind of slapping and and controlling leadership. It's ironic. This kind of leadership has no place in the church. And of course, it's a million miles away from the kind of leadership that Jesus showed, isn't it? That Jesus, we cared for the downtrodden. He had concern for the bruised. He was compassion, uh, compassionate to the broken. Well, that's a reluctant tactic that Paul took on to boast. And the second thing we see uh, that how it plays out, uh, the second point, Paul's straight-talking CV of weakness. After much reluctance then, uh, and kind of qualification, Paul launches into this so-called fool's speech. That's sometimes what it's called. And the contents of, of how he tries to win the Corinthians uh, in his CV and the way he presents it is, is pretty bizarre. I know some of you at Trinity have um, had job interviews recently, um, and, uh, and some as well sit on panels in, in, in your job to listen to interviewees. And maybe you've had a few people that sort of inflate their CV a little bit, um, or, or maybe a few typos or things like that. Here's a few that I enjoyed this week. Someone um, a typo on their CV, talked about their fantastic ability in multi-tasting. I thought it was quite good. Someone else boasted about uh, speaking both English and spinach on their CV. And then the last one, I think this is my favorite, from, for an IT job they were going to, they said, um, I am a rabid typist. So I thought it was good, R- rather than rapid. So sorry, just check, check everyone's got that. Good. Ho, ho, ho. But, um, but what's unusual about Paul's CV as he presents it to the Corinthians... Well, in some sense, it starts off normally. He, do you see, he, he presents his, his religious pedigree in verse 22. He's from the right background, Hebrew, an Israelite, an Abraham uh, descendant, toe-to-toe in terms of credentials with the super apostles. But then he shows his superiority in verse 23. He says, are they servants of Christ? I'm out of my mind. Of course they're not servants. I am more. Now for me reading it, at this point, we, we kind of expect Paul to really drive home how he is superior. He's got loads to boast in, right? You know, he could say, here's a couple of the sort of name drop, a couple of apostles that I've, you know, rubbed shoulders with. Uh, you could say, have you read some of those other letters? You know, the one to the church in Rome, Romans? Yeah, pretty good stuff. You know, he could say that. He could say, look, I've planted churches that are successful. I've, I've raised money that's gone to, to help different congregations. But what does he do? Well, he flips the whole thing in, on its head and he boasts in weakness. He crams 26 hardships into this quickfire list. The, the very things that the super apostles, they pointed their finger to try and disqualify Paul with these things. And Paul's instead boasting in that. Prison for preaching the gospel. Flogging. Lashes. You can read about some of this in the book of Acts, shipwrecks. He was a danger in the city, in the countryside, at the sea, from Jews, from Gentiles. He truly was hard-pressed on every side. 
What a contrast to the external power and showiness of the false teachers' ministry, their, their eloquence, their big fees. But did you notice the roller coaster list of suffering uh, where it climaxes in verse 28? Do you see, beside everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. This gives the impression that the, the super apostles, they kind of turned up and did the show and then went home. <laughs> no, not, not like that with Paul. Paul was the kind of guy who he weeped with those who weeped. He was the kind of guy that would sit with someone after the service who's struggling with something or other. He would patiently listen to the person who critiques all the points of his sermon by the back of church. No one does that here, just clarify. <laughs> He's marked, isn't he, by a staggering love and concern, not just for the Corinthians, but for all the churches in Ephesus, Colossae, Rome, elsewhere. Paul was not the professional with the big corner office and with the nice car in the drive and the PA who kind of keeps anyone a bit needy away from him. No, he's a pastor who loves his flock. One of the great privileges um, for me at Trinity is to, to walk in, with you guys in, in the joys of life and to see people maybe as they, I don't know, get married here. Or, or little Jerusha, you know, being born and meeting her. That's a wonderful privilege. It's also a privilege to walk with people through the hard times with struggles and trials and difficulties going on. It's worth saying that um, as a staff team, every Tuesday morning we, we pray for you guys by name. We've got a list, we work through and pray for you as a congregation. And we want to carry on doing that and pray for you by name. Because we love you. I want to love you here well at Trinity. And with that in mind, do, do pray for me. Do pray for, for Jeremy and Kirsten and for Medusa as he thinks about starting here at, uh, in a few months' time at Trinity as well, that we would have this kind of concern um, for the church that Paul did. Well, Paul concludes uh, really in verse 30, 30 with uh, his main point really from this whole passage. He says, look, if I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. I don't know if anyone's watched um, the world's toughest race, Bear Grylls. I think it's Amazon Prime or something like that. And uh, it's these people that go through sort of painstaking, seriously hard challenges as teams and they go, you know, worst conditions at sea and at land and crazy temperatures in jungles. And, um, and you see them and they sort of go, oh, it was brutal, it was hard, but I've done it. And, and I'm here and I'm going strong. But Paul is not like that here. He's not saying See what I've been through, but I'm a bit, of a bit of a legend, bit of a hard man. I've made it through. Look how strong I am. No, I'm weak, he's saying. And he sums that up with a supreme example of what happened in Damascus. Maybe if you know your Bible a bit, you might think, Damascus, that rings a bell. Well, it's, of course, the place where Paul was Saul, the persecutor of Christianity, became a Christian on the road to Damascus. And the day the the highest military award and honor would have been given to the person in, in battle who scaled the city wall and the first in, uh, in into the city. They would have been given a sort of award for bravery. And Paul is saying, I was the first down the wall. <laughs> Complete opposite. Weakness, shame, suffering. Of course, details will, will look different uh, than Paul. We're, we're unlikely as, as Christians in this country to be flogged, to be shipwrecked. Uh, but as Medusa is saying, as he 
heard about Jesus. Do you remember in Mark's gospel that, yes, Jesus is a majestic king, but he's also the suffering servant. And we follow that same suffering Jesus today, don't we? Take up your cross, Jesus said, and follow me. What does this all mean um, for us? Authentic Christian ministry then boasts in weakness, not in power. And, and I really can't overemphasize how, how countercultural that is. I know we've maybe heard it a few times in 2 Corinthians, but I want to just bring out two uh, challenges really from, from that. The first of which is this admit weakness. Okay? Admit weakness. Uh, generally, then, as our culture, I think at the moment, uh, we live in a culture where vulnerability and weakness isn't very highly valued. I think there's been good steps, hasn't there, in talking about mental health over the last few years in this country. I think people are more open about that, maybe in, in, in public and in the press. That's been a really good thing. But it's rare for someone to, to really take the mask off or to drop the guard. And it's easy for that culture to transfer into the church as well, isn't it? A culture where maybe we, we naturally, over coffee, gravitate towards people who have sort of got their life together, it seems. <laughs> or where competency is the highest held virtue in the life of the church. Here the great apostle admits and boasts even in weakness. There's a particular challenge there for those in leadership of the church here at Trinity to admit weakness. I remember my, my mum went to a church for many years and uh, she was there for a while and she said not, not once in all her time there did the, did the minister ever speak from the pulpit, from, from the front, about any kind of weakness or sin. And in private or kind of in a small group, he, he never, ever mentioned anything about struggling <laughs> in anything in life. It's not that every week you, you want a minister breaking you down into tears to be authentic, but, but actually if that never happens, that's not great, is it? As the old saying, never trust a pastor without a limp. And so for Bible study leaders here at Trinity or, or service team leaders, it's great to be open about struggles, <laughs> and a culture of vulnerability. Uh, maybe in prayer, prayer requests, in small groups, for, for most of us. I don't know if you've ever been in a small group and a first few people share their prayer requests and sort of say, yeah, no, fine, uh, can you pray for work at the moment? Or pray for my you know, great granny and somewhere else and doing that. that. That's fine, that's good. But I wonder if every now and then someone's just said, do you know what, I, I, I'm really struggling to be a Christian at work at the moment. Or someone else says, do you, do you know what, I, I, have, I just haven't read my Bible for a week or a couple of weeks. I've just really... It's just not happening. Can, can you pray for me? The tone changes, doesn't it? People get real. The, the masks are off. And actually, when we remember how loved and secure we are in the gospel, that Jesus knows our every weakness and yet loves us, well, then we can drop the mask, can't we? Over coffee or whatever it is after the service. We can admit weakness. And then the second and final thing, we can reevaluate success. Subtly or not so subtly, it's, it's easy, isn't it, to, to import the world's definition of success into the church. I found myself doing this the other day. I, um, I was telling someone about a book um, by Tim Keller. Maybe some of us have heard of him. And I've, they weren't, the person wasn't a Christian. 
And I, the way I sort of sold it to them was, oh, he, um, Tim Keller, he's a, he's a New York Times bestseller, as it says on the top of his book. I'm, I don't think he pushed for that, probably the publicist. But he's a New York Times bestselling author. And he spoke to Google headquarters. And, and he did a parliamentary breakfast with all the you know, members of parliament here in, in London. Do you see what I was doing there? I was basically trying to say, well, that's success in the world. When actually I probably should have said, do you know what? In the last few years, he's, he's had cancer and undergone surgery for that. And well, he's still going as a Christian in, in all that weakness. Probably would have been a better thing to say. I can easily buy into this. Like if we're more excited uh, and boasting it in numbers at Trinity or bums on seats, or YouTube views on videos, or a positive article in the Islington Gazette, or something about Christianity on the BBC. We get so excited about that, maybe we're slightly more like the super apostles than the Apostle Paul. Of course, these things aren't bad things if they happened. Good even, but we, we need to remember that the Bible doesn't really talk in the metrics of success and growth. Rather, it talks about faithfulness, leaders who love God and love God's people. That's true success. See, little by little, churches often, they end up valuing leaders more for their giftedness than their faithfulness. More for charisma than character. But we need to be wary of that and pray for that at Trinity. Yeah, the motivation in all of this, uh, just as we finish, lies not in the, the light shining on the Apostle Paul or on a church for doing really well in terms of admitting weakness. No. As we were reminded about before, as the weakness happens, as the, the bag tears or the, the, the jar of clay is broken, it's so that the gospel, so that Jesus shines through, so that he is seen as wonderful and glorious. Let me finish with a story to, to show that. There's a guy uh, in the 19th century, a missionary, Christian missionary, called John G. Patton. He was a, Scot a Scottish man. And uh, he went from Scotland out to the New Hebrides in the South Pacific. And uh, he, he had a successful ministry in Scotland. Loads of people were coming to faith. He was kind of preaching. Everything was going really well. Yet he decided to go from Scotland to these unreached people in, in the New Hebrides in the South Pacific. And loads of people said, don't go, don't go. You've got a great ministry here. Oh, and to also add, the last folks that went out to this island, they were killed by cannibals, okay? That's quite a strong red light, maybe, to, to not go somewhere. At least I would see it perhaps like that. And his biography, his life, reads like a list of 2 Corinthians 11. Many hardships. His wife died as they went out there, and his son died of a tropical disease. There were multiple attempts on his life. One time he, he had to escape and, and go back to Scotland, but then he went back out again to do this work. And he was, his life, he didn't see loads of kind of fruit or obvious kind of success in the ways that we've talked about in the worldly way sometimes. Yet later on in his ministry in his life, well, a lot of people on the island became Christians. It's wonderful. And, and today, statistics show that on that island, in that, in that area, 85% of people call themselves followers of Jesus. Oh, he was just like that paper bag. He'd broken, weak, didn't look particularly impressive. But the gospel shone through 
and people came to faith as they encountered Jesus. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that quite two Corinthians? Let me pray. Father God, um, thank you for this uh, passage that we've looked at. I pray that we would be the kind of church that that lives out these truths uh, in this kind of way, so that Jesus might be glorified and honoured and seen in all his wonder and beauty through our weakness. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.